It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. Um, as David said, we are Brett and Valerie, and we have four children, Margaret, Lydia, Cannon, and Thomas. And we are originally from Laurel, South Mississippi, not quite this far south, but still South Mississippi. Uh, grew up in and around Laurel, and then we went to Southern Miss. We were married about a month after graduation in 2004, and then we moved to Alabama. Valerie went to graduate school for her master's in accounting at University of Alabama, so we were in Tuscaloosa for about a year, and then on to Birmingham, where we lived for about nine years, uh, working in business, and Valerie as a CPA. And it was there, really, from Birmingham uh, that, that God called us out of the business world and, and into, into missions life. Um, for me, I, I grew up in a, in a Baptist church, um, kind of you know, rural town, South Mississippi, and um, it was at Southern Miss that I first was introduced to Reformed theology through the ministry of RUF. Um, had no clue what uh, Presbyterians believed or thought or whether or not they used you know, the same Bible that I was carrying. Uh, I was completely ignorant. Uh, but really, it was, it was when I met Valerie and we were going to RUF and I was hearing um, all of these ifications and, well, if you believe this, then that, and this, and that, um, that I, I started wrestling with, well, what is it that I believe? Uh, what, what is it that I see that the Bible says? Um, and it was really through that time, uh, even after we were married, that, that God used those wrestlings uh, to give me the, the call to missions and to give us a uh, call to be missionaries. Um, so I came to a point where I said, okay, God, if, if that's true, <laughs> if I really am as bad as, as the Bible says I am, uh, then I, I'm a, a complete hopeless sinner and I can't do anything. And, and you didn't like me because of who I am necessarily or because I'm a good person. Uh, you, you love me because I'm your creation and you sent your son to die for my sins by your grace uh, and nothing that I've done. I said, if that's true, then, then this life is yours. What would you do with it? And he said, well, I want you to move to Europe and take your little family and go over there. Um, and so after several years of praying through that, uh, that's what we did. In uh, 2014, we uh, moved to Bulgaria, which is in Eastern Europe. It's um, sandwiched between Greece and Romania. Uh, and then you've got Turkey to the east. Uh, so the very southeastern corner of Europe. And so we lived in Bulgaria from 2014 until just this past December, a few months ago. Um, and we were working in church revitalization and church planting, working with a congregational denomination that had existed since the, the mid-1800s. Uh, through At that time, the Ottoman Empire was still in control of Bulgaria. Uh, and so they survived that. They survived through communism and are still sort of hanging on to this day. Um, and so we were there helping that denomination. And then by God's grace, we were able to see a church planted in 2020 in Plovdiv, the city where we were in Bulgaria. Um, and, and that church is still going with, with national leadership. And um, from what we hear, doing okay, uh, even though it started in the midst of the pandemic and, and continues now. Um, and so... After that work was done, uh, we felt like God was leading us uh, to another place to sort of uh, kind of start over. And we were introduced to a pastor, a British pastor in, in Leeds, England, who had planted a church about four years ago and was looking for someone to come and, and um, be over discipleship for the young people in the church. And then also reaching out to international students at uh, Leeds University, which is in the center of the city and has about 12,000 international students. 
Um, and so that's the work that God is calling us to now, uh, to partner with this young church plant, to, uh, to help them get up and going, and then to also work with that pastor who's the chairman of church planting for the denomination, the IPC, um, International Presbyterian Church, uh, to work with him to plant other churches throughout the UK. Um, so if you'd, if you'd like to get our newsletter updates, uh, as he said, there's a sign-up sheet here in the hallway. Uh, just put your email down there, and we'd be happy to, to add you to our email updates. Uh, and also you can grab a prayer card either from the Narthex or the, or the hallway. We're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 this morning. And I, I'm going to read just the first six verses of 2 Corinthians 4. If you would please stand, if you have your copies of God word, God's Word, please, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians. These are the words of, of course, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 from verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So as I said, we landed in Bulgaria in 2014. At the time, we had three children. Uh, Thomas was added in Bulgaria. And initially, when we were invited by the team to come and, and work in Bulgaria, it, w- it was going to be in Sofia, Bulgaria, which is the capital city. And we were invited to join the team there and, and do certain aspects of, of work and ministry. And yet, a, a few months before we were scheduled to, de- to depart for Bulgaria, we were going to leave. Our team leader emailed and said, uh, you know what, we think it would be great if y'all would actually move to this other city called Plovdiv um, and, and join the smaller team there. And so we said, great. We had visited Plovdiv when we went on our, our vision trip, and we really liked the city. I had actually requested to be there, so it was, uh, it was good for us. We were excited. Uh, and yet at the same time, it was sort of a last-minute change, and we'd been telling all of our supporters we were going to be in Sofia and doing in this uh, type of ministry, and all of a sudden we're in this other city, um, and at the last minute having to figure things out. You know, My questions are, well, what are we going to do uh, when we get there? Uh, because they don't have the same type of things there. And so we really landed... Uh, on the field, not knowing exactly uh, what, what God would have us be doing specifically, uh, just working with the team and the church there, uh, sort of in general. And then I was invited uh, shortly after we arrived uh, to join an American football team, of all things, uh, to play flag football. Uh, American football is not a very big thing in Europe, especially not in Bulgaria. Uh, but there were a few guys who had played uh, video games, you know, Madden football on their on their uh, video games, 
and wanted to play it for real. And so they started a team. They didn't have all the equipment. They didn't have, you know, pads and stuff. And so we just played flag. Uh, but there were a few teams in the country. Uh, and so as an American, of course, I was immediately invited, even though I was 10 years older than all these other guys, uh, to join the team. Uh, and then soon after that, they made me the coach. Just by default, I'm the expert, being the American. Um, and, but we had a good time, and we played for a few years, uh, you know, playing tournaments with the other guys. And, and I grew really close uh, with a lot of those uh, guys, and those became some of my best relationships. But, but it wasn't um, it wasn't long that I realized that the, the sports outreach wasn't actually going to be my main ministry. Uh, I, I began talking with people in the church and, and hearing their stories about about what life is like uh, for them. Uh, if, for example, this this one man was a, a business owner and he had owned a small business, a very small business. He was the only employee. Uh, and he was he had a you know a couple of trucks and he was um, you know in d- delivery you know he'd pick things up and take them here and haul them there um, and he said business is going very well I've got plenty of clients I could actually grow my business and, and you know maybe hire some more people um, but he was telling me that in Bulgaria the situation is such that um, it's it's better to sort of kind of lay low because the the more you grow your business and the more people know that you have a successful business um, the more people come in and try to take from you. Uh, for example, the mafia uh, would, would come in and, and you know, offer some sort of protection, you know, quote unquote, and, uh, and, and require some, uh, some funds from you. And so he said it's better just to stay small. Similarly, it's hard to operate a business as a Christian. If you're trying to obey the laws as a Christian businessman should, if you're trying to to be sort of a model of that uh, for the community and with uh, with with other businesses, because pretty much everybody uh, evades taxes, you know, re- records one thing. Uh, so we we went to buy a car in Bulgaria from a, a used car dealer, and and in my broken understanding of Bulgarian, I, I could grasp that he was saying to me, well, I'm, you're going to pay this much, but we're going to write down this amount right here, but that's just for the paperwork, you know, so that I don't have to pay as much taxes. Um, so those kinds of things happen in business, and as a Christian businessman, if you want to do it the right way and you actually write down the, the real price that you had taken from a customer, um, that you're going to pay more taxes, and so it's going to be, therefore, more difficult to compete in that environment. And so we, we heard stories like this um, uh, from people, and um, in the same way, our, our pastor had his own uh, struggles and, and things he had to deal with. Bulgaria is the fastest shrinking country in the world by population. Uh, in, at the, in 1990, at the fall of the uh, communism, the fall of the wall, there were about 9 million people in Bulgaria. Today, today there are just under 7 million. And they predict by 2050 it'll be at 5. And, and so people are, are just fleeing the country. The birth rates are low. And then the young people are leaving to find better jobs and opportunities in the West, either in Western Europe or, or here in America. Um, actually, Chicago is the third largest Bulgarian city. Uh, believe it or not, there's about 300,000 Bulgarians in Chicago. And... Um, there are more Bulgarians working outside of Bulgaria than in Bulgaria. Uh, staggering statistics. Um, and, and yet that's the case. So what does that look like for the church? Well, what that means is that you've got a pastor 
who's, who's pastoring a local congregation and he, he, you know, there's a child in the church, say, or children in the church and he's, you know, they're pouring into them through children's Sunday school and then they get a little older and they're, they're investing more time in them and then they're in youth and then they're still investing in teaching and training. And then about the time they get university age, they leave and they go off to university either in the capital city or in another country and then you never really see them again because they've moved. They, they get a job in, in somewhere else in the Netherlands or in the UK or in America. Um, and then they're just gone. Uh, and that creates this huge vacuum, this huge hole uh, in your church that, that these people you've invested 18 years in and all of a sudden they're just not there anymore. It's frustrating uh, for a pastor. And then, but um, as we've been back in the States now for these six months, um, it's became quite clear to me, uh, and you know very well, that this is not unique to Bulgaria. Uh, similar struggles we have right here in Mississippi, uh, in this Presbytery, Grace Presbytery. There are half the churches without a pastor, um, and, and most of them are too small to, to have one. And so we, we have our own struggles. It's not only Bulgaria, but um, it, it's everywhere. Um, but why am I telling you all this? Why am I starting the sermon uh, with this kind of downer approach? Um, so, so what's our response to be? What's our response as, as Christians in, in this kind of environment? You know, we've just come through this, this pandemic, um, and, and maybe that's mostly past, but still lingering. But we still have all the normal stuff to do. You know, what are we to do? Just throw our hands up, you know, like the country song says, Jesus, take the wheel. I can't drive anymore. Um, far be it from me to, to go against the preaching of country music. Um, but I think we should probably turn to God's word uh, and see what he has to say about that. The letter of 2 Corinthians was written by Paul largely as a letter of encouragement. So just as I said, I, I began to see that my ministry in Bulgaria was, was going to be largely encouraging, encouraging these dear brothers and sisters in Christ who were, who were struggling and, and just wondering, you know, why am I keeping, keeping on? Uh, you know, what's my motivation for keeping going? So my encouragement for you this morning uh, would be similar. And I think that's what Paul is doing uh, in the letter, in this Second uh, Corinthians letter. So he's, he's encouraging the people to keep going uh, in the situation that they're facing. So a few years ago, I was able to go to Corinth, actually with my parents. Um, Athens, Greece, is only about an hour flight from Sofia, Bulgaria. So we flew down and then hired a cab to take us over to Corinth. Um, and what I was struck by is just sort of the, um, the isolation of the place. It's, it's kind of bleak, and it's hot because you're in Greece, and it's dry, and there's just not many trees, and it's just kind of a isolated, kind of a bleak place. And I imagine that's what the, the people at this time probably felt like that. Um, add to that, that, that at that time, Corinth was not... Um, this, this bastion of, of Christianity. It was anything but that. It was um, this hedonistic port of call for, for sailors. Uh, it was the headquarters of the god Venus, and they wanted to keep it that way. They didn't want these Christians coming in, you know, taking over and, and changing everything. Um, and, and Paul knew that very well. It was a very difficult place to minister. And yet we see Paul have some success when he came to Corinth initially, he was there for a year and a half. Uh, the book of Acts tells us that. And we can read in Acts 18 about his ministry. And we see that he, um, 
he was sharing the gospel and Aquila and Priscilla came to Christ and then the ruler of the synagogue. And it seems that God was blessing the ministry. It was growing. Uh, and, and we sometimes look at that with rosy colored glasses. We think, oh, well, yeah, it was easy for Paul. He already spoke the language. He just went there and, you know, all these people understood what he was saying and they just started coming to Christ. Um, and, and yet his, his ministry was not easy. It was far from it. Um, and, and we see it was, it was so difficult for him that actually the Lord speaks directly to him in a vision. And we read that in Acts 18, in verse 9, says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So here the the Lord is saying to Paul, don't be afraid. Well, that immediately tells us there's danger in the area. So people are seeking to harm him in some way. And the Lord is saying, don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say I'm going to take away all of this danger that surrounds you. It's going to be there. You're going to see it with your eyes, but I'm protecting you. In the very next verse, says in verse 12, Acts 18, verse 12 says, But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. So we see Paul is given a vision, and the Lord says, I'm going to protect you, and he's immediately arrested. I, I think the Lord is, 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 is saying to us and, and through Paul that things aren't going to always be easy, but he's with us. And I think that is what Paul is now communicating to the church at Corinth. He's, he's reminding them of the way the Lord has blessed them and protected them. And yet, in the midst of that, the situation is not always going to look around them comfortable and easy and exactly the way we would have it to look. So now let's, let's look at the text. The first encouragement we see from Paul is in verse 1. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So having, having this ministry, what, it can also be read having this kind of ministry. So Paul is saying, Therefore, since we have this kind of ministry... Well, what kind of ministry, obviously? Well, you have to know what the therefore is there for. So we have to look back in the the chapter 3, in the preceding verses, and we see that Paul describes the type of ministry that he's talking about in verses 7 through 9 in chapter 3. You can see that there in your Bible. Paul is comparing uh, the ministry of the old covenant given to Moses in the law with the new covenant. Chapter 3 and verse 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory." So do you catch the contrast that Paul is making there? He's calling the ministry given to Moses through the Ten Commandments and the law 
He's calling that the ministry of condemnation. The ministry of death. That's the Mosaic Covenant. That's the Old Covenant. And now this kind of ministry that we have is the ministry of the New Covenant. The ministry of life. The ministry of righteousness and hope. And he's saying, therefore, since we have that, this old covenant was, was death and condemnation, and yet it was so glorious, even though it was that, it was so glorious that the Israelites could not even look on the face of Moses. That's reflecting the glory of God that was in this ministry of death and condemnation. And now we have the ministry of life and righteousness through Jesus Christ. How much greater is that glory? That's the light that Jesus was talking about. That's the light that gets reflected from us as believers. Therefore, do not lose heart. So so what's the, the foundation of your hope in Jesus Christ, of your hope, because what you see all around you is, is not what you want to see. It's not the way that we would have it be. But Paul is saying, even though it's like that, do not lose heart. So all the while that we're looking around and we see with our eyes, Paul is saying to us, you have this ministry. You have the ministry of life. That, that Christ, by His mercy, has given to you, and now He uses you to, to give that message to the world. And we have this ministry, He says, by the mercy of God. We didn't earn this ministry. We didn't earn our salvation. We know very well. We have it by the mercy of God. But, but we do have it. And we need to act accordingly and live as though we do have it. And not look like the rest of the world who is still looking for their salvation in so many different places. We have it. Missionaries to Europe very quickly have to come to terms um, with with the darkness of the situation. The the reality of darkness, spiritual darkness. Uh, my, my parents, for years, they both work in, in the medical field, and they've taken short-term medical trips to Honduras. And they, they go on this week-long trip, and maybe you've, you've been on such a trip, and, and they um, you know, it, um, minister to all these uh, people in different ways through medicine or dentistry. And, and then they, they pray with, they ask to pray with them or if they would be interested. And then they come back from these trips, and they tell about the dozens of people that prayed to receive Christ. Now, the legitimacy of those notwithstanding, in Europe, you don't see that kind of thing. You don't see dozens of people typically saying, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll accept Christ, e- even if it's just to receive the medical care. E- even if they're just lying because they want the medical care, you, you don't see that in Europe. They're not even pretending to be Christian for their own benefit. It's completely against their thinking. And you have to come to terms with that. And sometimes when a missionary or a pastor is, is, experiences that for long enough, uh, you start thinking, well, well, how can I change this situation? You know, what can I do differently? How can I get my numbers up? How can I see more people coming in? 
Um, about the time that I was in seminary, um, 10 years ago, the insider movement was, was sort of popular. I don't know if you've heard of that. The insider movement was something that some missionaries were doing, particularly in Muslim contexts, and it has to do with contextualization. Now, now we understand proper contextualization from Paul, from 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, where he says, I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. And, and so we understand that to mean that Paul, um, like Hudson Taylor, you know, went, to, went to China and, and dyed his hair black and dressed like the locals. He spoke the Chinese language. That's contextualization. And, and as missionaries, we believe that's, that's what, what you should do. However, it can be taken a little too far. And in the insider movement, what some missionaries were doing were um, changing scripture to remove the familial language, for example. To Muslims, it's highly offensive that to say that Jesus is the Son of God. Highly offensive to them. And so, we, don't, we, we want to gain a hearing with the local, and so we just take that part out. We, we just take out where it says Jesus, Son of God, and, and then we present it to the Muslim and say, hey, it's no longer offensive to you. Look, you can read this Bible now, because it doesn't say that. And so Jesus now is, is relegated to just being a, a good prophet or a good teacher. And, and so that's what some were doing at the time. Uh, also, if, if a Muslim would, would become a believer, they, uh, missionaries would encourage that person to remain in the mosque, to sort of pretend to, to be a Muslim still, because in a lot of places in the world, it's very dangerous uh, to, to be a Christian. And, and that person would lose their family, possibly lose their life. And, and these, are, these are real issues. These are hard. And the answer to that uh, for some people became, well, just let the new believer not say to everybody he's a believer. Let him remain in the mosque. And then he can be a witness uh, to those people because he's still in the community. If we remove him from the community, then we have no witness in that community. And so you can see, if we think practically about church or about missions, it, it can lead us down a path that is not biblical. <laughs> We've over-contextualized. And, and Paul is, is addressing that in the following verses. In verse 2 he says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what Paul is saying, he's... Verses 1 through 6, he, he's telling the people, do not lose heart in the face of a lack of visible fruit in your ministry. And then in the rest of the chapter, 7 through 18, he's telling them, do not lose heart when you face physical suffering. But in this first part, in these first six verses, he's addressing the lack of visible fruit in the ministry. And so possibly, um, there, the, the church after Paul left maybe didn't grow as fast as it had been when he was there. Also, we knew that false teachers were coming in and they were attacking Paul saying, well, who, who is Paul? 
How many people has, has he actually brought to Christ? Or how fruitful really is his ministry? Or he's, he's facing, he has all these personal problems himself. He has this thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that was. Um, he had all these beatings and, and shipwrecks and things. that he Can he really be an apostle? And so you had all these little voices coming into the church. And now Paul is trying to defend himself and the ministry in the church in these verses and in, in, in the whole letter. And he's saying in the first verse, do not lose heart because we have the ministry of Christ, the ministry of the new covenant, the ministry of righteousness and life. And, and we can see that now in these second uh, few verses, the following verses, he's saying, even though we're not seeing the numbers, as we would say, that we want to be seeing, you know, we used to be a church of 500 and now we've got you know, 50 or, or whatever it is. We, we, we don't practice cunning. We're not using these other techniques like I was describing with the insider movement just to get people in because we think that's what we have to do. We think that's the answer. Paul is saying, no, no, we don't, we don't change our tactics. We, we don't address the situation as, as we might think is best. There's power in the gospel. Now, most of you probably aren't Bible translators. You, you probably never have removed the familial language from the Bible. Uh, so I, I couldn't accuse you of that. But have you ever, in talking with someone, sidestepped the truth? Have you ever sort of backpedaled from a conversation that you thought, eh, I know if I go there, it's just going to raise issues, and eh, I don't want to... Have you ever sort of backed away as, as you're true identity as a follower of Christ? Have you ever been ashamed of the gospel? I think we all have. I think we've all done that. I've certainly done that. In, but here you see Paul's method. He says, the open proclamation of the truth. Straightforward, not underhanded. A common outreach technique in missions is English classes, and we also see that here in the States. A lot of churches do that. One of the things that, that we had heard about in Bulgaria that certain groups were doing, not our group, but certain other groups, uh, were offering English classes, but they wouldn't tell you know, potential students that it was done by a religious organization. And so they would just advertise, you know, come, come learn English, free English class. There'll be snacks and drinks, coffee and tea available, and, and just come and practice with a native speaker. Uh, and then the, the people would come and they would show up for the class, you know, the door shut. And then all of a sudden they're telling the people um, their religious views or you're a, you're a terrible person and you need to uh, turn to God. And the, the people are sitting there stunned, like, what just happened? That was a bait and switch. I came for an English class, and now all of a sudden, you're telling me what a horrible person I am. That's the sort of this underhanded approach that Paul is talking about. We, we don't do that. We don't need to do that. We offer Christ. And if, if people are attracted to Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit is drawing them. And he says if they're not attracted, it's because Satan has blinded them. And we can't remove those blinders. Only the Holy Spirit can remove the blinders and give eyes to see. And I, I think we, we err greatly when we step into God's work and we've stepped out of our work. 
and, and we might not say it out loud, we might not even realize it, but we're thinking, God, you need some help because you're not doing your part of the deal here. We're showing up for worship. We're offering these things. Nobody's coming. So we're going to have to do something different. We're going to have to step into God's work. And we're going to have to come up with something else to, to get people in the door. And Paul's saying, no, we have this ministry, the ministry of the new covenant, this powerful ministry, the light of the knowledge of Christ has shown in our hearts. And that's what we proclaim. And so the first point, if you are a note taker, is method. So Paul's method was the open proclamation of the truth. Secondly, his mode or his posture was service. And we see, Paul says, we, we present ourselves as servants for your sake. In verse 5, for we, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, what does that mean? Well, it requires humility to present yourself as someone's servant. I don't think most of us would commonly every day consider ourselves to be a servant. We think, well, that's kind of a lower class thing to do or to be. But it requires great humility to say that I'm a servant of Christ. Now, how do you how do you know uh, whether you're a humble person or not? Because if you say I'm a humble person, then all of a sudden you're, you're prideful, right? Because you pride that you're you're humble. Imagine that there's this continuum. You've got one side, uh, you've got pride, and on the other side, you've got humility. And, and most of us, you know, somewhere, you know, in here somewhere, we drift back and forth maybe. And, and sometimes we get a little more towards humble. And, and then all it takes is one little comment, someone saying, I, I really appreciated the way that you, you know, led that Bible study last week. Or, I, I, I'm really grateful that, that you are here. You, you bring so much life to our group or our, our church. And then, and then you start thinking, oh, I, I really appreciate you saying that. You know what? I, I, I really am a good speaker. I, I understand God's Word pretty well, you know, and I, I can explain it to people. I, I can see why I'd be very valuable to this group. And then all of a sudden you just start, you just start drifting towards pride. And, and then... Before you know it, you have gotten to the point where if I were to leave, this, this whole place would just fall in without me. They, they need me here. I'm the cornerstone of this place. It, it just with one little comment, and we, we have drifted all the way over here. And Paul is saying, we are servants. We're here to serve. Uh, Count Zinzendorf was famous for saying um, that the, the Christian's mantra should be, Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. It's not about me. It's about Christ. They, they don't need to remember me. They need to remember Him. Um, I was reminded of, of my pride the other day. I, I like to ride a bike. I have a road bike. Um, I'm borrowing while, I'm, while we're here in the States. And I was going for a ride, and you know, I keep up with my time on my phone there. You know, tracks my my distance and everything. And I was following my splits, and I was thinking, man, I'm I'm really going fast today. Um, I, I probably two miles per hour ahead of my normal time. I'm doing pretty well. It's about ten miles into the ride, and now I'm thinking, man, I should probably sign up for a race or something. You know, because I'm from my age category, I might could do pretty well. 
Um, and then I, I had been going north, and then I kind of turned and turned again, and I was going south, and I hit a wall of wind. It was like, and it was just like completely stopped me. And I was going up this hill, and I was going into this wind. I was struggling, struggling, and I realized the whole time I had been going so fast, it was because this wind was a tailwind. It was right behind me, just pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. And then all of a sudden, I was in this headwind, and I could barely move. But isn't that sort of a picture of the Christian life? We think, well, I, I read my Bible every day. I, I've, I've really prepared myself. I, I'm, I'm praying. I'm, I'm having my quiet time. I'm, I'm serving in the church. And now look at the good that has come from it. I, I can see this person has come to faith, or I, I can see, you know, this person said they were encouraged, um, you know, because that word I spoke to them. And, and we think, because we, we did do those things, we think that the credit goes to us. Well, just like me, I, I was pedaling my bicycle, but it was the wind that was doing the, the main work. But, but I thought it was me because I was there doing the work. You see the difference. So you are doing those things, but God is doing those things. That's how we can be humble. Because we realize that we're not doing any of this. And even if we work as hard as we can without God, it's nothing. And it actually destroys the church when we try to bring our own work into it. So yes, you have to work. Yes, you have to be diligent. But by God's grace, He will take those meager efforts and transform them into something powerful. And so that's our mode or our posture is service in humility. And then thirdly and finally, what is our message? Well, of course, the message is the gospel. And we see that in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're new to the church or if you're a new believer and, and you hear, uh, the, what is the gospel? You know, we often ask, uh, when I was discipling teenagers, I would ask them, well, what is the gospel? You know, what do we mean by the gospel? And you get all kinds of different answers. Well, if you don't know, I think verse 6 is a good place to start. Paul says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. That is, through Jesus Christ, we can know God. We have the knowledge of the glory of God through Jesus Christ. He says, in the face of Jesus Christ. So Christ came, the Son of God came to earth to die for our sins, yes, but also to reconnect us to God. And we know God, we know more about God, we know kind of who God is and what He was like, at least on earth, through Jesus Christ. John Piper, in his book, God is the Gospel, and I, I commend the book to you, he argues that, yes, Jesus died for our sins so that we can be made righteous. The double imputation, we receive his righteousness, he receives our sin. Yes, that's absolutely true, but that's not the end of the story. That's not the, the point of the gospel. 
the, the point of the gospel is he did all that because we were eternally separated from Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and we had no way of getting back to God. And we didn't even want to. And Christ came so that we could be reunited with our Father. And he did all of that on earth so that we could be with God again. And if in your presentation of the gospel, if you stop short of that, or if in your own theology or personal meditations, if you stop short of being reconnected with your heavenly father, you start thinking like a lot of um, Christians think, well, they, I just want to get to heaven. It's going to be perfect. It's not going to be all this crime and, and you know, I'll never cry again. Streets are paved with gold. That sounds great. Yeah, I'll, I would love to be in a place like that. Would you still want that place, Piper asks, if you could go there and God wasn't there? Do you still want to go? And you can sort of question your motivation. Because Christ died so that we can be with God, our Father, and have everlasting life with Him. He tells uh, the illustration... Imagine that I have, I have done something to my wife. I have upset her in some way. I, I've said something, which happens all the time. And, and, and now I can feel that, that there's this tension between us. I come into the kitchen you know, for breakfast the next morning. And, and you know, she's not talking to me. She's just fixing her coffee. You know, she's not looking at me. And I, I, I know that there's, there's a problem there. There's this chill in the air. And I know what I need to do. I know that I need to go to her and apologize and, and reconcile the relationship. But, but why do I want to do that? Why do I want to go and apologize to my wife? Well, I don't, I don't want just to apologize to remove the tension, just to make life easier. I want to remove the tension because it's keeping me separated from my wife. And, and we can't have the relationship that we both want to have, the connectedness that God designed. We can't have that because there's this wall between us. That's why Christ came, to remove the wall. And Paul says... God has shown this message into your heart. This is the kind of ministry you have. And in the world, it's, it's chaos. And in, in the very next verse, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, another sermon, but our bodies are frail and broken. The world is chaos, our bodies are frail, and all we see is this destruction around us. And we're not seeing the fruit in our labors that we would like to see. And Paul is, says, Paul is saying that that doesn't make the gospel less true. God is on his throne. He is working. Do not lose heart, brothers and sisters. So we do not need to worry about what we perceive is a lack of fruit or lack of results. We openly and humbly proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We serve the Lord obediently and faithfully, trusting Him to accomplish His work.
Let's pray. Great God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We humbly ask for forgiveness for our pride. We ask for forgiveness where we have tried to do your work, where we look around and we think, where are you, God? Father, we trust that you are working even when we can't see it. We trust that you are with us as you have promised to be, as you promised the Apostle Paul, that you would be with him to protect him. And you're here for us as well. We thank you and praise you. God, would you use this knowledge to change the way we live, that we would live according to what it is that we believe. And Father, we ask that you would do that for your namesake, for your glory. Amen.